This is episode 144 on the Herpreneur Show. Today we have the inspirational speaker, Stacey Kopatz. Welcome to the Herpreneur Show, where we talk women, business, life. I am your host, Annette Lakovich. I'm an entrepreneur, businesswoman, mum, and I'm a fitness fanatic who loves to dance. What I also love to do is help you reach your fullest potential in business, health, and happiness. Join me as I bring you life-changing interviews, world-class education that helps you continue to up-level your next stage in greatness. It's your time to shine. Let's do it. Have you ever been lucky enough to be one of those people in the audience to hear an inspirational story, a story that has come from tragedy, but that person standing on stage has a message to share to help you live your best life? Well, that's who we have on the show today. Today we have the inspirational speaker, Stacey Kopass, who has been dubbed as the Queen of Resilience by seven times world champion Lane Beachley. We not only hear about the devastating accident that turned Stacey Kopass into a quadriplegic, but also about how she's transformed those experiences into her life and personal philosophies to be called in by huge organisations around the country. Big brands that you see to help them overcome challenges, adversity. If you're stuck in a place at the moment, this is going to be an interview that will really help unlock that. Stacey is the author of How to Be Resilient and has been featured in the Financial Review, ABC Radio, The Australian. In Stacey's spare time, you normally see her in a patch of sunshine with a book recharging her solar powers. Today, I hope this interview will give you insights in how to be resilient in business and life. Let me introduce you to Stacey Kopas. It's been so long. We've just done a bit of a pre-chat, guys. It's been it's been eight years we found out since we've actually last connected. Um, too long, too long. Love Way it. Way too long. I think I think there's been a vortex that's just sucked out most yeah. of that <laughs> most, most of those eight years anyway. So we'll just. You know, life gets in the way, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Stacey, I would love for you to first share, just so everybody gets a feel from where you are. Where are you in this beautiful land of Australia? Where do you reside? Where do you work from? You know, I am in Western Sydney, um, Penrith to be precise. As I look out my office window, I've got a view of the Blue Mountains. Well, until they build a beautiful big apartment building in front of me. Um, but yeah, so I'm in I'm in Western Sydney and I am fortunate to be able to live and work um, in the same place for the most part. And um, yeah, and I think that's been what's been amazing over the last couple of years is that uh, I've actually embraced working from home a lot more and I've embraced actually doing things like we're doing now and being able to present and do interviews and coach and do all those things online where I was massively resistant to it in the past. Yeah. Look, um, funny you mentioned about the Blue Mountains because, as we said in pre-chat, that um, that's where I was born and raised. Um, So, know the Penrith area very well. That was like the big city for me when I was a young girl. (laughs) to go down from Springwood and catch the train to Penrith. And that was like, that was the main city for me to go out shopping. Um, so yeah, really great hub and um, lots, lots of great people around there. Stacy, you mentioned about speaking. She's a public speaker, guys. You've heard that in the introduction. What I don't know is your story. And your story is really 
what's got you here today in you being able to position yourself as an incredible speaker to be able to move the audience. I'd love to dive into, you know, really helping us understand resilience, uh, you know, at first hand. And out of the eight years that I've known you, I have been the one on the stage talking and I've never been able to see you on the stage presenting your jam. So would you actually have that as a starting point today with really, I'm guessing that was the pathway that took you to now being, you know, dubbed the resilience queen. Would you take us back to your story when you were 12 years old, if you can? Yeah, absolutely. So back at 12 years old, I was probably a little bit of an unusual 12 year old in that I I knew from a very early age what I wanted to do with my life and Probably before, before I even started school, like I was like, I'm going to be a vet. That's all I'm going to do. And that was my focus. And so at 12, from a schooling perspective, I was I'd just finished, um, just about to the, yeah, almost the end of primary school. Um, and I'd actually gotten into a selective agricultural high school for my, you know, for height for, for the next step. And that was like, great. That's the next, you know, very, very clear next part, next step on the path towards becoming a vet. Um, mm. Aside from that, I was, I was an athlete and I was the pitcher in the softball team in summer. I was, my friend and I ended up being the first girls to ever play soccer for our school. This was 1989. Girls didn't play soccer back then. Yeah, we weren't allowed to, you know, that's it. But we fought and ended up being the first girls to ever play soccer. And then I also represented my school at every distance um, from the 100 metres right through to the cross country as well. So it wow. Was, uh, you know, I did pretty well as an athlete. And then other than that, you know, I had normal family life, you know, good friends. And so I just, I felt like I was at that point, um, you know, head, finishing up, finishing up primary school. And I felt like I was in just such a great place and, and, and felt that like I was you know, well on that path that I'd laid out to, you know, being, being a vet and, you know, pursuing sports as well. Um, but unfortunately that all got turned upside down. It was a, it was the first weekend in summer and I was visiting a relative's place with my younger brother who was 10 and a couple of other boys who were a little bit younger than him. And we they had a, a backyard swimming pool, which is, you know, that was amazing on a hot Sunday. And so we were, you know, out there calling off and um, I, being the only girl and being a little bit older than them, I didn't want anything to do with them. And so I did what every, every time I did when I visited th- their place, which was I just kept climbing up on the edge of the pool and diving in. And it was an above ground pool, so it wasn't deep. It wasn't meant uh-huh. for diving. So I was getting yelled at to stop, but I'm sure everyone remembers what we were like at 12 and bulletproof and invincible. So I completely ignored that. But this one particular time I was standing there and I thought that I was splashing too much when I was diving in. So I stood there for a bit and I thought, what could I do to make a perfect dive? And so I thought that if I was to keep my feet together and keep my legs straight, I thought in theory that would make me splash less as I dived in. Mm. So I actually took a deep breath and and did exactly that. And it felt like any other dive that I'd done before until I went to try and swim up to the surface and I found I couldn't move. So I didn't feel any pain. It didn't feel like anything had gone wrong. I was completely conscious, holding my breath. Panic set in straight away, desperately trying to get the attention of my brother to help me, which I couldn't do. And so I held my breath for as long as I could. But then when I couldn't hold it any longer, that panic sort of gave way to a moment of just sheer terror. 
as I had to just give in and as I gave in and my lungs filled with water, I blacked out. And it was eventually that the others realised that I was that they just thought I was mucking around and like they were, you know, the kids, so yeah. you can't really blame them for that. Um, so eventually they realised that something had, you know, had gone really wrong and they they raised the alarm for help. And it was later that night at the third hospital I got taken to that um, a doctor came and told me that I'd actually broken my neck and drowned and that I'd never walk again. So for me, Jeez. that felt like, you know, for, for someone that was, you know, I was an athlete, you know, had my life like so set in what I was going to do, you know, being being told I never walk again just felt like a death sentence to me at that time. Um, and then it just went through, you know, I spent seven months in hospital, the first eight weeks of that flat on my back with sandbags either side of my head. And, you know, I spent most of those eight weeks just, you know, mourning all the things that I couldn't do anymore. I was angry that I couldn't play the sports that I'd loved so much. I, you know, I was, I was devastated that I wasn't going to be able to be a vet. And, and I was, you know, being a 12 year old girl, I was just, I was, I felt that a boy would never be interested in me again after that. Devastating. Yeah. And I guess that's a, you know, that's, that's, that's where you're at at that age. Um, Yeah. yeah, And then, so I couldn't go to the high school that I was meant to go to. um, And then, you know, the, the years that followed were just, it was, it was, I was one of these ones that was really good at putting on that face. It was like, you know, I'm getting on with everything, nothing to see here. But you know, I was just, you know, I was just really bitter and angry and resentful. And that was just all directed at myself, really. And like a lot of teens that my outlet was, you know, I, I just got drunk and stoned a lot. And they were, I look at them now as like they were moments of artificial happiness that I was creating. But in between, there were sort of deeper pits of depression, you know, despair and anxiety. But as I said, I just hid that really well. And it was only in the last few years when I really started to reflect a lot back on that time that I realized that, you know, while physically I drowned once, you know, emotionally I was drowning every single day. And I think a lot of people, you have that sense sometimes with just overwhelm in their lives where you you do feel like you're drowning every day in all the things you need to do and being so overwhelmed. Um so yes, that was like those years were tough. Like high school's tough at the best of times. I think particularly being a girl, it was, you know, all your identity, your dynamics, that sort of stuff. And it was just magnified for me. Um, but yeah, it's just that that took those few years were awful. And you know, for the first few years afterwards, I would have given anything to, you know, I've turned back the clock and not taken that dive or, you know, just not to be be what around it, be around at all. What would have gone through your head when you were in hospital? Well, first, do you remember the moment of just not being able to hold your breath and just just like having just to give in? Like, do you remember that actual moment? Yeah. It was, like it was, that. It was that, yes, it was just sheer terror because, again, you just didn't know what was about to happen, and but you had, I had no choice. It's like I physically could not hold it anymore and it was just like just to breathe in and then it was just yeah. nothing. Yeah. There's nothing after yes. that. And so then you wake up and you're in hospital? Um, I drifted in and out of consciousness in the ambulance. Um, mm-hmm. So there was an ambulance to the local hospital. And so I sort of drifted in and out there and, you know, just having it sort of vaguely remembering like suction being shoved down my throat, trying to get water yeah. out of you know, my lungs and stuff. Yeah. And then sort of, you know, drifted in and out at the at, at that 
the local hospital. Remember my swimming costume being cut off me and I, it's a brand new swimming costume. I love that swimming costume. Yeah. Um, that getting cut off and then I got, you know, got loaded into a helicopter from there and you know, to another hospital and it was just in and out, like just you were in and out yeah. entire evening, yeah. You know, ladies, how many times in your life have you made the decision to do something and it's been the hardest lesson that you've had to learn and you wish that you could go back and fix it, but you can't and all you can do is move on. I cannot believe what you would have gone through with something this life-changing. For me, I can understand it only to what I think is a level of understanding, but it makes you really quickly snap out of your own pity party when you hear your story. Because for me, for the last three years, I have been dealing with a back issue from just from, I got into pole dancing and I really was practicing splits morning and night. Uh, you know, I was, I was training physically in sports and everything 11 times a week. And to then be told you've got to strap your hips and you can't do anything. And then the weight came on and, you know, that mental side of it, Stacey, for me was not even, and I'm not saying this is even in a breath that it's what you have gone through. Though for, for, for me to even feel it for that moment of doing everything I could in personal development, everything I could to try to distract myself. And then days when I was going down a hole, like this is my identity. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a fitness fanatic. I love to exercise. But the hope of always knowing that I will get back. I've got a procedure next week for my hips, which should be the final thing to get it all back. Though, Stacey, I can get back. Talk to us because this, this is just, every one of us that's listening is like, wow, this is here to teach me something. This challenge, this situation that I'm going through, personally, professionally, however it is, how did this move you into personal development, move you into public speaking? Because you've got this gift to share now. Like take us on that journey, how you have used this circumstance to now be caught in by the biggest brands in Australia to move audiences, to move people. Yeah, it's taken a long time. I think that's a, that was the big thing. It was it was probably the first five years. I was definitely, I didn't know, I didn't know even, even longer than that. I never really, even the people that were close to me, I never really spoke about what had happened, how I was feeling, all that oh, sort of wow. stuff. What was quite interesting is there was one, one friend I had back when I first went to school. So I missed the first six months of high school because I was in hospital. And then, so I had to go to a school. There was nowhere near home. I didn't know anybody. You know, a few days out of hospital and I, I shared a taxi with with one for a term with one girl who we kept in touch, like even until like recently, this is like 30 whatever years ago. Um, and she said to me a few years back, she said, Stace, I thought you were a total bitch when I first met you. She said, and then someone 
someone else at school told me a little bit about what had happened in your world and she's like oh my gosh I totally get it like it wasn't anything it was personal it was just like you know you, you clearly you clearly had a lot that you were dealing with and interact interact you know being being you know a bright and in, you know engaging friendly person at that time was beyond my capacity I think um but it was oh, absolute oh my yeah gosh, like yeah. it's just yeah it was just a lot and even then like I had to get up at quarter past five every morning because the school was nowhere near home it took me two hours with help to get ready just to be in my chair and get ready to get picked up then I was sitting in a taxi for an hour and a half then I went to school and then it was all the way back and didn't get home till like five o'clock in the afternoon wow. and this is straight out of hospital 12 years old like just yeah it was it was rough um but it wasn't until I was probably getting later towards the end of my high school I sort of got out of the you know getting stoned and all that sort of stuff but it wasn't until I sort of finished school got a job um you know did all that sort of stuff like most of my friends were doing ended up you know with a boyfriend that I worked with all that sort of stuff that I started to sort of go you know what there's probably still something you know I haven't lost everything it's one of these things there's still so much I can do but so it would have been probably 10 years after that I had the accident that I actually began to go, um, you know what, I can't change what had happened, but I can change the story I tell about what happened, like what, what happened, particularly the story I tell myself, and I can change what I do next. And then that sort of set me off on this path of just being really open to exploring different ideas. But I always knew I was here to make a difference and um, that sort of led me in my 20s to getting involved in local politics, of all things. And so I, I ran for local government and the state election um, in 2007. I got wow. that involved in politics. Um, <laughs> so I did that sort of stuff. And then it was like personal development sort of happened sort of in my early to mid-20s. And it was something that I came that actually came to me via I got I got introduced to a direct selling company in um you know in my early 20s and it was through there that that was my first exposure to personal development I'd never had any ah. nothing you know I, everything I'd read up until that point were fiction books um I don't think I've read a fi- I probably haven't read one or two fiction books since then um so that that would sort of got me started on you know reading you know self-help books that type of stuff but it wasn't until it ended up being in my early 30s that I really got in, I really got involved in like I want to learn more um, about you know motivation and mm-hmm. just improving myself. And it was the, the the big sort of pivotal moment that came to me where I, where I was like, okay, I think that there's there's something about my story that might be valuable. Is I had the opportunity to go to the Solomon Islands as a peer like as a volunteer to mentor people over there and I'd never been overseas before I was this precious city girl it's like hey, don't even go camping type of thing and then <laughs> I spent a, I spent a couple of weeks over there with no electricity no hot water wow. um, you know, just spending time with people that are living in these most you know unbelievable conditions in these remote islands that people these people that are using wheelchairs that it's crazy stuff and 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 the way I came to even get to do that opportunity was I was at a conference and I was told that someone with an injury like mine, that 75% of people are dead within two years if they live in a developing country. And I was 21 years wow. after my injury in the best state of my life. And I thought I can felt compelled to do something. 
Yeah, wow. And at that point, I came back. I, so I spent two weeks over there. I went back to my job. I was working um, in project project support in at the CSIRO in Adelaide at the time. And I'd sat in my office that day. I looked around. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? Like, I've got to do something more with my life. And so I'd been doing a little bit of personal development, but then I ended up doing a workshop around, you know, writing a book and public speaking and all that sort of stuff. But my my vision at that point was I could I could use all of those tools in order to raise more awareness of people with disability in developing countries. Mm-hmm. So I never ever at that point thought that I would share my story. I'd be I thought I'd be telling other people's stories and yeah, raising awareness and money. And it was in in this particular workshop um, that was my you know, my mentor at the time was Pat Mercedi. I was working like that. I was doing workshops with. And at the end of it, he said, um, he said, he said, you need to be sharing your story. And I just sort of said to him, I said, I don't want to. Everyone's going to think I'm a total wanker for talking about myself. And it's just like, you know, total Aussie, tall poppy, especially for a woman. I think for for women, it's even harder to get out there and share our story. And he just said to me, he said, Stace, you've got to get over yourself. It's not about you. He said, and if you don't share your story with what you've learned and you know, the lessons that you could share with people. If you don't share your story, you're being selfish. Mm. Like, Yeah, it's such a good point when you say it's so selfish to keep that from someone. I, I, I've used that reframe many times because it really wakes you up. It's, it did. yeah, that, wow. And, and a couple a of months after that. Nice I piece was of tough a- love. <laughs> It was. And like, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for Pat. And then, so then a couple of, couple of months later, I was on one of his stages um, where he did like a speak off competition. um, And I, I actually jointly won that competition and I actually did share my story in five minutes. I shared the five minute version of my story and you know, I had people laugh and cry in five minutes. And then for the next two days, I just had people constantly come up to me and share all this stuff and how amazing it was. And, and but also at that same event, Alan Pease was speaking. And so I went up to Alan the next day and said, Oh, can I get a photo with you? And and he said, Yeah. And he goes, Oh, so he goes, I saw you speak yesterday. He goes, Are you speaking professionally? And I'm like, No, that's the first time I've ever done that. And he ended up um spent sort of five, 10 minutes sitting with me and just said, Look, you made him laugh, you made him cry. He gave me the most amazing advice. He said, if you can do that and teach. If you've got a topic or a framework or some kind of lessons or structure around that, he said you could do this forever. And um, so I'm in, you know, internally grateful for Alan for that. And then Alan ended up wow. um, a couple of years after that writing the forward for my book, How to Be Resilient. And so, you know, those couple of people that just gave me that incredible advice. Um, so that's a long story to say it took probably 20, almost 20 years after I had my injury mm. and it saw, it had other people see something in me that I didn't see myself. Um, and then, so people that believed in me more than I believed in myself at the time. Mm. And then I had to just take, take a leap, a leap of faith, put yeah. myself out there and then to see that other people then believed in me as well. But it took until I think the moment it was about 2016, I was speaking for a chamber of commerce out in the area I grew up and I was halfway through that talk and it was just this thing clicked halfway through that talk where I suddenly for the first time felt that that's where I belonged. Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Can I just say, wow, there's so much 
to to dig into here, my goodness. I feel, and I, I feel I know this to be true, is when you are an athlete, it teaches you a resilience. It teaches you this gusto, determination. There's there's something there that it teaches you so much about life, about you've got to push through some harder stuff to get to the end. There's, you know, there's this, um, the practice equals the outcome type of stuff. And you, through your young years, you still have that mind of the athlete, right? You never said die. There was a time there when you went through the downhill motion which anyone would in their right mind, though the athlete in you, that 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 mindset of, I, I haven't got a word for it, but there, there, there's something I feel that just can push you through. It's something that just, it's determination. It's like the fight in you. Like there, there, there's, there's a natural fight in you in a good way. Um, but what I want everyone to take away from this is, it took Stacy just to trust a process. It took Stacy to take a leap of faith and to try something which she'd never done before, which was to stand and speak and to share her story where there was resistance there. And because of that step, and if you think of anything that you've had success in your life, it's because you took the step of discomfort that will allow you to see that next beautiful thing, that next whatever is waiting for you on the other side. And when you talked about, you know, meeting Alan Peace, it took even you just going up there and having the courage to go up there and introduce yourself. You put yourself in the pond, spoke. You then saw him. You then put yourself in another situation to go and talk to him. And look what that opened up. Like talk about alignment, talking about allowing the beautiful grace of whatever the divine is do you know what I mean to to get you to that that place um I would love to know your perspective on resilience what's your perspective on resilience that you've learned and you love to impart to us yeah, it's it's been interesting because it's funny because resilience was a word that didn't even it wasn't a word that I ever used until I'd gotten into the speaking and then uh-huh. it was working with another mentor and um, Judith and she just said to me she said resilience is exactly your story and the things that you can teach through it. And I was like, okay, cool. Again, trusting trusting processes and trusting people that are you know successful and mentors and stuff like that Mm. um and then over the years I have discovered the more I've spoken about resilience particularly I I speak a lot about it in the workplace and the corporate sense and I I really feel that it's become just synonymous with coping it's like and even just that you know you hear that phrase all the time it's like oh bouncing back and I just feel that coping and bouncing back just sell it short because they just keep to me it implies that you just keep coming back to the point you were at before you got hit with a challenge. Oh, yeah. Whereas I feel resilience is how we can learn and become stronger through mm-hmm. being challenged mm-hmm. and also how we can build resilience proactively. Because, um, again, I think resilience is all about, okay, how do you cope when something goes wrong? My perspective is it's how do we actually build a reserve of resilience 
so that we have when we get hit by a challenge so that we're not slowed down and then we have the opportunity to grow and learn. So I love to look at it. It's like I love resilience as a perspective is how can we actually grow through challenges rather than just going through them? Mm. And, you know, how can we thrive in challenging situations rather than just survive? Because I think coping and survival, stress management, all these reactive things, they just set such a low bar. Mm. And so that's how that's that's been my perspective. And I think going back to the athlete thing and training, the way that I look at resilience is I, I feel that through implementing just simple practices on a regular basis and we can build resilience, much like we go to the gym, we pick a muscle group to work on. We mm. do those repetitive, simple movements over time and that builds the strength. And so resilience is exactly the same. Simple, repetitive practices done consistently over time build strength. And much like going to the gym and anything physical, we need to keep doing it because if we don't, we lose it. And some people look at me and say to me, they go, oh, but you know, you're just resilient. And I'm like, no, I work at this stuff every single day. <laughs> and if I find myself feeling overwhelmed or stressed or you know, in a rut, the first thing I need to do is look at, have I been, have I been practicing what I need to do. And generally mm. it'll be 99% of the time I've dropped the ball on mm. my consistent practices. And then that's left me in a situation where, um, you know, I have my ass kicked in some way or another. Yeah. Gosh. It's interesting because um, I, I, I like to say to myself, there's something to be learned here. And I know <laughs> that there's something to be learned here, even though I don't like the situation that I'm in. It gives me some type of hope that the future is going to unveil that. There's there's a learning there. Just even hearing you saying about that bounce back, it's you don't just bounce back. You actually take you should be taking those few leaps forward. It's it's not just getting back to ground zero. You've learned something huge, so now you're actually mightier, better, more wisdom, more knowledge. More you know what did you take away from that learning? Yeah, now my my face just I just my face screws up when I hear bounce back. Mm. What have you learned now with I say this because when we choose to teach something or something has been chosen for us, we continually learn that over and over again in some way, right? It's like, okay, if you want to learn, you want to teach this, let me keep giving you some lessons to know that you've really got it. You stepped into entrepreneurship. That's when we met. Yep. You step into being a speaker and getting, you know, these incredible brands behind you and wanting you to speak on stage. Let's share about your journey of lessons of resistance through that time that's come up from you. How many times it's come up and what have you, what have you learned some of the hardest lessons in that journey? Yeah, one of the biggest ones was um, when I when I sort of stepped away from my job. I left I left my last job ten years ago, um, ten years ago this year, and I sort of started the process a year earlier. So I'd have been a year in the process, and my focus was okay, resilience. I'm going to be a speaker. This is what I'm going to do. But a little bit after the trip to the Solomon Islands, I had um, one of the other mentors that I that I was over there with, he approached me and said, hey, like that was really amazing, the trip we did, but I felt that we can do so much more. And so he pitched me an idea that a few of us get together and start a company as well. 
um, and then do consulting and training in, in you know, sort of diversity and inclusion, specialising in, in dis, um, disability. But we do it as a profit for purpose and then we can then, we make profits and then we can go and do projects. And I'd already committed to, yep, I'm, I'm starting my resilience business, all this sort of stuff. And I said yes to that as well. And so that was just such a, in hindsight, was a massive mistake. No, I hadn't even gotten the resilience business up and running. And here I was trying to do two startups at the same time. Was there something in you at that? Like, do you remember there was something there in you thinking, oh, I don't want to, but I don't want to say no. Was there like a little voice that you remember feeling or hearing? Or were you just like all guns blazing? Like, yeah, sure. Let's just add that onto the, put another log on the fire. Yeah, my my approach to life is generally say yes and figure it out later. Yeah. Um, and and I just sort of thought like again, and I was just driven at that point by, oh my gosh, there's so much work we could do. There's so much opportunity. Um, and you know, that was that was great. And I ended up doing that business. We did some great projects. And like I ended up you know doing some training. I even did like a diversity and inclusion strategy, even though I've never done anything like it for a couple of big federal government departments. I went and did a consulting project in Cambodia, like all this sort of stuff I did at the same time as, you know, trying to get another business done. But I got a couple of years into doing both and I just felt so torn. I was like, I couldn't, I was, I was, I was butting heads with, with my business partners. I was feeling like I couldn't make any inways on the resilience business. And it, and I had to really take a step back and go, look, okay, I, I know I can't do both. It was that, yeah, that Confucius quote, a man who chases two rabbits catches neither. <laughs> that came up along the way. And I'm like, okay, yes, that's a message. Um, and then I actually, during that time, I went and um, did like a, a you know, one day workshop with Dr. John Martini, mm-hmm. And it was when he was doing his stuff around values. Uh-huh. So I went through his values process and mm-hmm. I realized that that second business with my business partners I was doing out of a sense of obligation that I felt like I was a person with a disability, got my shit together, could communicate well, and I felt obliged to take up the cause. Um, yeah. Also then I think, so So I ended up saying to my business partners that I was going to step down from that because I was a director. I was doing all the training and marketing, all that sort of stuff as well. So it was crazy. Wow. And so the big, the massive lesson was, again, you know, you've got to always get one. If you want to do more than one thing, you've got to have one thing. It's like the spinning plate or the juggling. One's mm. got to be sort of like pretty much spinning almost by itself before you throw mm. something else on. Yeah. The other biggest mm. lesson, I think the biggest lesson I got out of that second business was, first of all, uh, avoid at all costs working with business partners. Um, <laughs> and two of my business partners were a couple. Mm -hmm. so it was always going to be they were always going to be like one person um so that was that was tough and they were friends begin with and then that you know that that affected our friendship um there was a lot of stuff that went down with that so that was a big lesson is like so now it's been drummed into me by other coaches it's like do not have business partners hire people don't give away equity don't do any of these Mm -hmm. things just um you know do it yourself and um and, and then, yeah, hire people to do the things that you think mm. that the business partners are going to bring in. Do you know what's really interesting, Stacey? I left my employment as a trainer. So I used to train sales for businesses, um, specifically the hit fitness industry, um, 
and then did a few corporates. And then I went into entrepreneurship for myself and it was a, a gift shop called Presence for her. It was selling gifts for men, making it easy so men could purchase a gift for a woman within six minutes. So it taught them, you know, what's her personality style. And, you know, it was it was sort of putting a bit of NLP into gift shopping because a lot, and this is a generalisation, but a lot of men really find it hard to find a gift for their mum or for their sister or for the girlfriend or partner or whoever. And um, I wanted to make it easy for them. Though... Within pretty much six months, I knew that I think that was just really a nice way to exit from being employed with somebody else without being in competition. Though in the amongst of that, that trials and tribulation of an online business, I sat there and I thought, what do I want? And I went through a values elicitation and within, I'd probably say, I think it was maybe 50 minutes going through it. I realized that I'm born to be a leader, to speak, to educate, to teach, to empower. And I was like, okay, how much does that relate to this online business? It doesn't. So it was very interesting how that values survey and that values elicitation for you brought you into where you're doing now to know where you to point your compass and also that's what got me into the speaking because I went right I'm ready to do it and as soon as I made that decision the next day I got my very first corporate gig and that was dusk and then I got into it and it was like that quick it was like boom so ladies alignment point listen to yourself if you don't know what a values elicitation is go find something online do an NLP course like get get that happening find out what's really important to me what's really important to me because laser focus does help you get to that end game not that there's ever an end game but to really help you get to that direction and to cut out the noise um and Stacey I do want to touch on because obviously women in business are on um Stacey was talking about you know when you're growing your business you do not want to start another business or we also call a profit center until you've got one she was calling it one plate spinning it's we we want that profit center so strong but then eventually if you can you build two more profit centers So if one goes down, your business doesn't fall apart. So the goal is to always get three profit centres within your business, but you've got to have that dirt, that first one, the the show horse, the workhorse, whatever it is, that's the first one you've got to to focus on. I wanted to add that just because obviously, you know, if if we don't get money in our business, we don't have a business. So I did want to talk, touch on that profit centre. So, Stacey, share with us how can we build our resilience muscle? Being the resilience queen, you must have some tips here. Yeah, the way that I look at it is I've actually put together a framework of resilience and I did that through reverse engineering how I got from the lowest point in my life to where I was at the time when I first started putting this together. And so I looked back and I'm like, okay, what were the things that I did consciously and unconsciously along that journey that helped me to, to be able to grow and um, actually get to the point where I, I love challenge. I, it's almost like I love stuff going wrong because it's such an opportunity. It's a double-edged sword though when you see opportunity and everything. So what I realized is that there was 
some key principles um, that I had embraced. And now I've taken it a step further and I realize that there are specific rituals and practices that we can use in order to build each of those principles. Love it. One of the, 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 the key ones that I found was, and it's something that's probably the simplest thing to do um, in order to build that resilience, but also in a situation where you find yourself when something's gone wrong and you're beating yourself up, is it's just being super conscious of the language that you use. Because, you know, the words we use have the power to build up or tear down people around us or, you know, particularly in our own thoughts. And so it's being very conscious to use words that are more positive, take the attention away, try not to awfulize situations through overly dramatically negative language. Yeah. Because what I've discovered is that how we describe a situation is how we experience a situation. For instance, me saying being an athlete is part of my identity, it's who I am, was not helping me, ladies. And I had to have my little pity party and then <laughs> being trained with the language, I then had to turn around, but I did go into that. It didn't help me. It didn't help me saying that at all. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, and it is, it's just, it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's getting good at the, at the reframe. So, mm. you know, when something's gone wrong, it's even just simple things like, we have the days where we wake up and it's like, I just, I have to do this and I don't want to. And then just going, well, I get to do this. And just like, you know, little word swaps have to get to, but the ritual that I use in order to build that, the language being more conscious of the language we use and the impact of it is just journaling. So journaling is like my number one non-negotiable ritual. I haven't missed a night of journaling in over seven years now. It's that non-negotiable for me. And and it just started with just writing down what was the best thing that happened today. Um, So again, from a language perspective, we get what we look for. So if you start to condition yourself to look for the positive um, and then describe that in a way, you know, with with positive language or even just looking at, you you can look for something in the day that you might've been um, frustrated with or you're beating yourself up about that but through your process of a journal, you can actually rewrite that. You're not changing the facts about what happened in that day, but you're changing the story you're told about it. And yeah. just that night before you go to bed, you can, again, you can rewrite how it feels. And if we rewrite the, the, you know, the wiring of how it feels, then it can change things from that point forward. So I think it's so an opportunity. Powerful. So journaling is so a big powerful. one. Um, the other one that um, is massive for me is gratitude. Um, and totally distinct to gratitude journaling because I um, I guess most, most people have been uh, recommended, you know, keep a gratitude journal and write down three things you're grateful for every day. Um, I tried that and it just felt really wanky for me. It just didn't, I did, it didn't, it really didn't work for me. I, I it felt like a bit of an obligation and a chore. Um, so I ended up not doing it because it didn't create an experience of gratitude for me. And so my ritual around gratitude is using mantras and, you know, using simple mantras that we say to ourselves at key points in the day, then they actually help to create an experience of gratitude. So the one that I use is thank you for the opportunity to be who I am, where I am with what I have at this moment in time. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and and I use that. It's the last thing I write it down. Oh my god! Yeah, so thank you for the opportunity to be who I am, where I am, with what I have at this moment in time, and 
so yeah, last thing before I fall just asleep, sit right? with that for a second. That is so powerful. Yeah. Oh, okay. I needed to pause on that. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah. So how and because it started out as a self love thing, and that evolved into that statement. Um, so that's that statement I use um, before I go to sleep of a night. So close my eyes, say that to myself. When the alarm goes off in the morning, hit stop, say that to myself, open my eyes, get up. And then during the day, if I find myself in a situation where I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm beating myself up, something hasn't gone to plan, I'm not feeling great, then I actually stop, take a couple of, you know, a few deep breaths and just say that. Um, mm. Because I found that, um, it's, again, it comes down to it's, it's another, you know, ties into the language. It's a bit of a reframe as well. Mm. Um, and much like as you, you you mentioned earlier, that when these challenging things happen, that, you know, we're trying to find the gifts in and we're trying to find the opportunities mm. in them. But they're not immediately apparent. No. So, yeah, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we don't realise them until years later. But mm. the, the first point is, is gratitude because you can't feel bad about something you're grateful for. Mm. So if we in a, in a moment just use that, thank you for the opportunity to be who I am, where I am with what I have at this moment in time, it just brings you back into the moment. And the great mm-hmm. thing about gratitude being in the moment is that it's not possible to be focusing on the past or the future if you're truly in the moment mm-hmm. because the past is where we beat ourselves up about what we haven't done and that's where depression lives. Yeah. And the future is where we get worried about what is going to happen and then that's where anxiety lives. Yeah. So. By using gratitude mantra in the moment, it just brings it all back in. So I use it proactively and situationally as well. Um, so that's the, the language piece. So journaling, gratitude, mantras. The other one that I use, which is it's become a, a bit of a, it's a newish one because I never really gave it credit for how much of an impact it had in my life was music. Mm. So music actually kept me alive at the lowest points in my life and um, I was really fortunate to be at the lowest point in my life uh, in the early to mid nineties at the height of grunge. And so it was the most angry, angsty F the world kind of music. And um, it was a perfect <laughs> soundtrack. So now I've realized that, 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 that music just completely can change our experience mm-hmm. in, in any given moment. So um, I consciously, um, I've, I've, I created a, a playlist on Spotify called resilience rocks um, and if you if you like rock, then there's like 19 hours of music. But um, yeah. what I do is um, at least once a day is I just hit shuffle on that, and it's three to five minutes, and I just immerse myself in the song. Yeah. Um, and you know whether you move to it, whether you sing along with it, um, you know three to five minutes, you can completely change your energy, your vibration. Um, so music is an incredible ritual for me. And I actually, um, in the last couple of years, I took up singing lessons as well, because I thought I really wanted to immerse in, I wanted to immerse in music even more. And then I realized the process of actually singing, not only does it raise your vibration, but by just getting that extra oxygen flowing around the body, you just get so much more energized. Um, so that's that's been that's been I guess that's three quick ones. That's three cool. quick ones for people oh, to so you know. good, so good. The main thing is is for people to just pick one to start with. My yeah. whole my whole approach with anything is pick one, absolutely nail it, get that get that plate spinning, whether it's a business or a ritual. Mm. Um, get something done, um, do it well, then add to it. 
Yeah. Do you know, I have journaled for years. When I was 21 was when my first mentor was saying about doing the three things you're thankful for at the end of every day. And Stacey, I have a (laughs) container full of (laughs) journals. Then it led me into just more journaling. That led me into journaling. And I loved with journaling, it allowed me to get any inner thoughts. For me, it's like taking the, the rubbish out just to get it out. And then it then becomes like a, a coaching process where I find, you know, I'll ask questions and I'll answer them. Um, and there's a book, ladies, called Conversations with God. And it, it talks about this process Um, no matter if you're religious or not, it's not actually about a religion. It's just about this connection to your higher self. And for me, it's, it's interesting because I do all different things now. I hear something. So now I've heard your mantra and I'm going to add that. So it's beautiful that that you get these bag of tricks. And I love what Stacey said, which is, you know, do one and focus on it and perfect it. So sometimes I'll just do the three great things about the day, even if I'm like, eyes are really tired and I'm like, I just want to take a moment for myself just to appreciate the day. Sometimes it's because I'm in my head about some situation or something has happened, I need to write it out and then suddenly my answers come. Um, the, The mantras I do that in the morning, so lifting the vibration, doing chakra work and all that, but I'm going to do that, that mantra, I'm going to add that. Because uh, that resonated with me. So I know that that's going to be a perfect way. And I love that you top and tail it, start of the day and end of the day. And these are things, ladies, that you can teach to your kids as well. We get Braxton to do things. We talk about the day at dinner. Um, I get him to say something that he loved about the day. What did he learn? What stretched him? Um, there's all these different things that we can teach our children now that we're learning as well. Because as soon as you teach it, you learn it deeper. <laughs> It goes deeper. Now, Stacey, something came to me today that I wanted to ask you. As a speaker, you're on stage, and I feel like when I'm on stage, I open up and I'm so happy to be vulnerable. And it's like I do not care about judgment when I'm on that stage because the message I want to give, I know it's going to hit some people. And you learn as a speaker, you know, maybe 10% of the audience might not like you. For me, I'm like, okay, whatever. They're just not meant to be me, but I never, ever have worried about that. Though sometimes when I get on the stage or get off the stage, you know, you know, I could have done this, could have done that. What if they like it? You know, all this stuff. I'd love to know with you because for me, I would be called in to either one, do sales and business stuff, right? And two, to do a personal development. Though I think I might get in my head sometimes because it's like, do I feel like I made the impact? I wondered if you ever get that because I feel you've been caught in because of your most critical injury to a body that could happen. That do you just know when you get on stage, like you are just gonna move every single person? Like I feel like what I'm trying to say is as a speaker, do you ever have doubts? Yeah, it's it's so funny because I the nerves never go away. I'm a bit of a bumbling idiot just before I go on stage. Um, I feel that I probably 
I might stress out some event planners because I can barely string a sentence together just before I go on stage. <laughs> um, and it's funny because, again, those doubts never go away. And even though I have all the evidence in the world that I have an incredible impact mm. and I always do and my focus is always on connection over content every single time, like it's an yeah. energetic connection, that's my biggest mm-hmm. priority um, is to do that rather than just rattle off a whole bunch of stuff to people. Um, I still have moments, even like I, I had a gig in Adelaide last week and I, I'm not, and I'm not big on traveling these days, but I had a, I, I had an injury earlier in the week. I pulled one of my, pulled a muscle in my rib. I could barely move. And my first thought process was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if I can just do this virtually now. And then also my other thing is, is like on the, in the lead up to gigs, I get like the day before and my brain still often goes to, I hope they cancel it. Yeah. Like wow. This still, this still happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then when I get there, it's fine. 10 seconds, like 10 seconds after I've been, you know, the MC's intro, yes, everyone's yeah. done their thing. And the big thing is I do it. I, it's, I always take a moment before I don't just, go bang straight into it Mm -hmm. I take a moment to ground myself to have that little bit of a connection and then I feel okay Mm. um but yeah there are there are those times where you have doubts the other thing is too is that you know you'll be I I like to make eye contact with as many people as I can in the room but you'll always notice that one person that looks like they're not interested you know they might have their arms folded they might be sort Mm -hmm. of looking like this or something like that and so and you find yourself your eye keeps getting drawn back to that person Mm. um but then you know you've got 99 percent of the room that absolutely are loving and engaged so then you find those other people that i call them you know your lighthouses in your audience so much love and mm-hmm. I go and thank these people afterwards. I go, thank you so much. I felt so much love from you while I was up there. Um, but yeah, those things still happen. I still have yeah. doubts. Um, you know, even before doing an interview like this, sometimes I'll, I, what I often do is I'll listen back to another, another podcast I've done beforehand just to remind yeah. myself that yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I know it's what I'm talking so great. about. It's yeah. great. Um, and the other thing I do too, because I guess a lot of this comes back to imposter syndrome. Um, and it's something that I've done myself and I've taught a lot of my clients as well, is I collect evidence. So whether it's testimonials, feedback forms, LinkedIn recommendations. And if I'm having days where I'm really stuck in that, like I'm, I'm really not good at this, I really should just go and get a job. That's very rare. I don't ever want to get a job again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I think, you know, should I just be talking yeah. about something else? Um, then I go back and read. Yeah. all of those testimonials and that reminds me and then I was working with one client once and she was still not convinced on that and I said so are all of those people liars mm, that yeah. just sort of just started to go well you've got all this evidence all these people that love your work so yeah I think sometimes we've got it we've, we, we do need to look at that external evidence to go look okay yes. these are all these people I've made an impact on yeah these are the great yeah. things people have said um, and yeah. then it's it's been harder with the virtual gigs because you don't have the conversations afterwards where, mm. you know, when I was in Adelaide last week, I ended up late to the airport because I just had such a big line. I sold out of books. It was just, it was just wow. absolutely crazy. But, mm. um, you know, there's still all that. So beforehand there's the doubts and then afterwards it's great. But virtual, yeah. it's like you finish the thing and you hit end meeting. And I had a couple of times in the last couple of years where I just sat and cried um, whereas usually the most highest point, and then I yes, just cried yeah, because yeah. I was like, 
Because you didn't get to feel the energy. You didn't get to feel the energy. Mm, Yeah. But that's where I have to go back to not about about me. It's about them. Yeah. Um, And I've, from an audience perspective, the audience has a greater sense of intimacy in a virtual environment sometimes than than they do in a physical Mm. environment. So again, yeah. Oh, wow. All That's over again. Interesting, really interesting. I appreciate you opening up about that. That's really interesting. I just heard an interview, I think it was this morning, with Leanne Rhymes, and she was just even saying how she never felt nerves until she was in her 30s. And then, or I think it was early 20, like late 20s, like 28, 29. Um, and even for the podcast she was about to go on. She was even having the thoughts of, I hope they cancel. Like, it, it's so interesting, this imposter syndrome or, you know, this feeling of whatever it is. Um, and I, I wondered if you ever got it because I thought, wow, like, you're being caught in because of your messaging. It's the life that you have lived. Would you ever feel that and it's just so interesting to hear that you know there's that that beautiful humanness that's in all of us do you know what I mean like it's yeah it's just um yeah really interesting I want to just touch on one thing you've said before music the power of music I realize if I have not played music for a few days because normally if I get in the car I've got a podcast on if I'm going for a walk a podcast on I'm but then if I haven't listened to music for a while, I will feel the difference in the energy. And that's when I'll just go, I've got to put music on. I've got to put music on in the background while I'm working. I've got to do a power walk with the, with music on right now. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's the power of music. And I, I just really wanted to bring that in because there is a frequency there and different musics, ha- different songs have bring different frequencies. Like you were saying, when you were um, going through that really rough patch of just trying to just go, okay, this is how my life's changed and just even trying to believe that this has happened. You know, you're having all this, a different type of music <laughs> to now. Yeah. It, it, it is. And, and it's like, it's not, and it's not just the vibration. I found specifically with the, the grunge and I could still like to listen to it now a little bit as well. <laughs> um, I think the music of our teens is always going to be our favourite music. And it was, um, I found that just even lyrically, uh, it just, it gave me a way to express myself that I didn't have the words to do. Mm. yeah wow love it well Stacey we've got women here from the startup women here in the growth phase of business if you want to give a piece of advice for both of them what would you give to each of them someone that's going through the startup right now well, hey let's face it that is a lot of resilience there we are learning every day we are in <laughs> in the depths of the valley sometimes and you know trying to climb out of it trying to get the money in the business, trying to get our clients, whatever it might be, a piece of advice for her. And then a piece of advice for, let's say, the woman that's up-leveling and she's about to expand in some way in entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think from the startup one, I think going back to my own experience, it's it's trying not to do too much too soon, Um, just just really focusing on what's the one core thing that you are going to focus on and do that well. and because there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a scarcity mindset that comes into starting a business that we feel that we might miss out on an opportunity and we can't say, you know, we can't, we don't want to, don't want to rule We out. say yes to everything. <laughs> yeah, we do. And the problem is it's like, you know, you, you spread yourself too thin, you dilute your effectiveness. And 
it's one of those things where again we have to focus on that and like I you know still go through stages and it's like you know here I am like 10 and a half years into my business and you know sometimes it's you know it's like okay who's my market everyone loves resilience and I get booked by all these different things yeah who do you hone into oh my into the gosh yeah and I think that's the thing so it's picking one it's like picking one product picking one audience if we can um because you can't if marketing is very difficult if you don't know exactly who you're speaking to mm. um so and, and just because you're marketing to one audience it doesn't mean that you can't sell to everybody else that comes to you but it just that that was a big thing and I you know over years over and over the years I'm like okay the you know the mentors at the beginning were right something we get told all the time isn't it is just focus <laughs> on one audience yeah um, so that's a big one and it I is think- hard and especially for you because you can serve everyone Mm-hmm. And that's probably the problem that a lot of people are in. They go, I, I can serve everyone. I would love to know who have you funneled it down to? Is it yeah. corporates with teams of a certain size? Is it female entrepreneur? Like where have you sort of really directed that focus? Yeah. So for the majority of the year, majority of the time, it's been focusing on leaders in business. Um, uh-huh. So it's been more the, yes, it's more the corporate stuff. Because um, yeah. my, 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 my thing is if I can impact leaders, then indirectly that I can be the ripple in the, the pebble in the pond. So yeah. it's like if I can impact leaders, then I can impact their teams, um, mm. their entire businesses and also their families at home. So um, I'm still still really focusing on, the, on leaders. I really want to work at that end. Um, but what I've done is just over the last um, six months is that I've, I've, I've been called in to speak to some sales conferences over the years as well. Um, and then, you know, being, uh, having quite a lot of exposure out of the direct selling business. So yeah. I've got a few things in the pipeline now. Um, for the next 12 months, I'm actually going to focus on um, resilience in the sales process. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so and good. then put together a program of my own as well. So not just focusing on getting speaking engagements. So mm. now it's like it's time for me to build another part to my business yay new profit stream (laughs) yes so it's like now it's time to not just be relying on always getting speaking engagements Mm. it's time to be able to have an offering that I can yeah sell you know b to you know b to c as well as b to b so that that's a biggie there and it's it's exciting feeling I'm feeling feeling good about that one now yeah that's so great because if you think that your funnel top of funnel is the exposure you get through being on stage with your corporate clients, though the only thing that you've ever been able to do as a next step for the audience would be your book. Mm. So now you can do a training program, a course, or that's so good. Obviously, you'd probably do some private coaching and mentoring, I can imagine, that'd be happening. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I can see all those little profit centres really building up, but that's so amazing. And if you think we talked about, you know, um, Personal development is one of the biggest ways for you to really learn about yourself. Selling, wow, wow, wow. Every lady on here knows the discomfort that they've gone through to sell their own product at some way, some stage. Some of you might be struggling now. Some of you don't like the sales process. Some of you are uncomfortable with overcoming objections. Some of you are uncomfortable with going out there and getting clients networking. So that's just, that is such a perfect, perfect 
we need to do some stuff with Convert Club with you as well. I think that would be absolutely. Yeah, and I an learned so much about sales from you know you, you you had such an impact you know all those years ago, eight years ago on on my, my sales process. Yeah, and in- probably Pete as well because I think Pete was doing and a lot Pete of both because I think yeah. yeah obviously we did some one on one stuff and then Pete did a lot of the training and yeah um, yeah between the two of you it's like yeah so yeah, absolutely I'd love to yeah, I'd love to have a chat about Convert that's Club a, that's and see perfect, I can help there a perfect. Um, alliance for you with that because it's it's so much about mindset I've always said that I could teach you the perfect script and for me I prefer to teach frameworks than scripting but a person could sell better than you just because they believe in a product for the, the end result more and they don't need the script they don't need the process they just have the passion to want to be able to get this product out there so that's part of the mindset. So, um, yeah, I'd love to learn more about that. Stacey, the woman in the growth phase, she's expanding. She's about to up-level or she is up-leveling. There's stuff that she's experiencing now, you know, finding her feet again or just ready to expand. What sort of comes to you with, you know, in that growth phase that you think would really impact her? I think there's two things. I think the the resilient stuff is going to be, I think, even more important because there's just you're being, you know, she's being pulled in a thousand different directions. I think the doubts kick in even greater. I think at that point, going, okay, I've done well to this point, but um, you know, how do I how do I go more? And then there's that sense of responsibility that you have to not only your existing client base, but the team that you've put in place. Um, because a lot of the time, at that point, they're going to be having employees. There's, 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 there's all those pressures as well. Yes. So I think that that's, so there's mm-hmm. keeping those resilience practices are even more important then. Um, but I think a big one is going to be delegation. You know, delegation is going to be huge at that point. I think, you know, I think most of us, and I think as women, we're probably, we're probably more that like to <laughs> hang on to things longer than the, than the, than the guys do. Um, so I think it's like being, being really, um, being really critical about what, what it, what are the things that only she can do mm. and find somebody um, that, you know, can do it at least 70% as good as she can to do the rest. Mm. Um, and I think that's going to be a big one. It's just, um, yeah, like you, I think that's the thing. Otherwise you just end up being that bottleneck, that single point of failure in the business ends up being her. Yeah. And so making sure that it's, it's not all going to fall over if she falls over. <sighs> Powerful. Do you know, we've never had that answer. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, maybe we've had it in a different way, but whatever you've just said then, Stacey, the way you've delivered it, it's so impactful. And I think what's impactful is you even said if you can get someone to even do it 70% as well as you, because we talk about the trading money for hours, dollars for hours, you know, what is your dollar per hour worth and who can you get that could do it nearly just as good and, you know, you wouldn't be paying them half as much as what you're actually paying and where you could be actually using that time to actually grow the business because that's going to be your genius. But um, thank you for that. That is awesome. I know that that has just hit some women listening right now. Someone's listening going, that I need to take on. Uh, I love to finish with this last question, Stacey. What would be the one thing, one thing that you know this is my go-to to lift your vibration back up to the happiest version of you? If there was one thing that you would do, you go, this is my instant that gets me there, what would it be? Singing. 
Hey, yeah, definitely the singing. Definitely the singing. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I would have said just music in general, mm-hmm. but now it is it's singing. And even uh, you know, for the half an hour before we chatted today, while I was doing my makeup and stuff, I had my singing practice playlist on Spotify on shuffle. Um, and not only was it a good voice warm up, but it also was just great to get my vibration yeah. getting myself going. But um, yeah, singing it's just so powerful. Even if people. I, I used to always think I can't sing. I'm terrible. I sound awful. Um, but then discovered that somehow I actually do have a decent singing voice. Yeah. But it was just who cares? Like just um, just sing. It's so powerful. And again, three to five minutes. Just and oh. give it give it everything. Oh That's gosh. the thing. It's not just like you know have a little hum along. It's just like yeah. friggin' belt it out. Yeah. Do you, did you have singing lessons? Did you say, did I hear you say? I did. I I started to, and it was just like, was it, it was just before all the um, lockdown stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And I was, I ended up going to school of rock. Um, Just, (laughs) I'm a rock chick through and through. I can't, there's never going to get away around that. Um, So I started getting some lessons and then all the lockdowns happened. So Mm -hmm. I I just didn't do it for a bit. Um, And then I ended up um, with my boyfriend, uh, we've been together for nearly two years now and he's a musician and when we first started hanging out, then he got me to, he's like, oh, have a sing with me. And he's like, you've got a great voice. And I'm like, really? And then so it got me back into some singing lessons and I tried to do them virtually, but he and I actually get together um, one afternoon a week and we just spend an hour, him with the guitar, yeah. me singing. And it's uh, just probably one of my happiest, happiest spots in the week. Yeah, I love that. Oh, how good to sing, ladies. Oh, my goodness. Totally, totally down with that. Do you have a husky voice when you sing? Like I can imagine like a Pat Bennett, you know, when my eyes close. Like I can imagine you have this beautiful husk to it. Yeah, there's definitely an um, element. One of my singing teachers, he was this like, oh, you've got such a great tone and it's, yeah, and you also hear it. Because in your range, it's crazy. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just got to, it's one of these things. It's like, but I have to practice in order to yeah. do this. Oh. Yeah. Well, ladies, let's uh, sing along to something. We promise, promise, promise. Once we finish this, we're going to turn some music on right now and just sing our guts out. I love to sing when I'm cooking at night. Yeah, just uh, go straight into concert. I think my poor neighbour, she probably thinks, oh, she really goes for it in the kitchen, that lady. She gets a free. She gets a free concert every night. Yes, like free concert. Free concert. Oh, Stacy, thank you so much for just being you, gracing us with your presence, your story, your journey, your rawness, your vulnerability, and just the lessons that you've imparted today. It's been so beautiful to reconnect with you, and thank you. It's been great to share you with the Herpreneur audience. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to The Herpreneur Show. I hope you received the inspirational idea, thought, or message that you're meant to hear today. If you love the show, it means a bunch to me sending me a message on Facebook or on iTunes to rate and review the show and subscribe so you're the first to know when the next show's released. Until then, make sure you do something that fills up your level of happiness, something that lifts your vibration so high that you are the happiest person that you know. I'm out.